Blog Talk Radio. You want to replay the point? Okay. Mr. Vavrinka wants to replay the point. 15 on. And good evening and welcome to Replay the Point. This is Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen, joined by Jared Pine of A Second Serb. Good evening, Jared. Good evening, good Jared. Evening, and uh Yep, and a uh, lot of action over the weekend, Jared. Andy Murray winning Dubai, Sam Query winning Acapulco. Uh, we had another uh, result in Sao Paulo, Brazil, with Cuevas winning. And uh, some big news today out of Indian Wells. Obviously, the ATP draw came out with an absolutely loaded bottom quarter of the draw. And, uh, Jared, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But first off, a uh, very special guest this evening, Karen Health of Tennis View Magazine, who is also a co-host on Replay the Point uh, on alternate days as well. And Karen, you were able to spend Saturday and Sunday on site at Indian Wells. And um, first of all, welcome to the show and like to get your uh, observations on what you were able to take in on Saturday and Sunday. Thanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. And yeah, there was a lot of action going on at Indian Wells over the weekend. So, um, I'll just kind of start off, you know, they had Kids Day on Saturday, and they quite a nice turnout for that. I, I got on the grounds about a, a 1 o'clock, I think, and practice courts were just loaded with kids, with players out them, all kinds of drills. The cones were out there practicing, you know, target practice with serving. Tommy Haas, the tournament director, was on hand and, and giving lessons himself on court. And then, uh, you know, there were just a number of other players out there. Madison Keys was right next door running her practice in the middle of all of this. And it was just a tremendous day. The weather was great. You know, players were walking the grounds, no escorts, no crowds. You want to walk up and say, hey, can I get a photo? Can I get an autograph? It's the best opportunity you're going to find because they're not in that, you know, I've got matches to play kind of grinding schedule that starts to happen once you know, the true play gets going, and it's just more relaxed, really nice atmosphere. Sure, and was uh, was this a new uh, addition to the schedule at Indian Wells this year, Kids Day? I, I don't think I've seen that before. Uh, no, I believe they've had it before, you know, but I, I think they're trying to grow it just like they are the rest of the events, and, you know, a lot of, um, uh, lot of just new activities, and I think highlighting um, – you know, a, kind of a bigger display. They had a rock climbing wall there. They had music and, you know, just a number of other things to kind of round out the day. All the kids were running around with their own little credentials and twirling with them. It was really cute. <laughs> so. Well, that's nice. And uh, obviously, in addition to Kids Day, you were there Saturday and Sunday. You had a chance to see some of the players practicing. Um, can you elaborate on, on who you saw and what uh, what your biggest takeaways were from what you were able to check out? Sure. Um, <clears throat> got to see a variety of both men's and women. Um, I would say probably the most interesting female pairing I saw on court was you know, our up-and-coming Cece Bellis on court with quite a veteran in Francesca Schiavone. So they were out on practice court, and, you know, 
sitting in the front row basically with, I don't know, 25 other people who had gathered around. <clears throat> so that was, that was quite a spectacular showing and, you know, just what a contrast in styles and ages and in, you know, the career paths that they're in right now. And then I would say on the other side of the house, um, the, the other major matchup that I also got to see was practice court one, which is sort of the highest profile, if you will, show court, practice court. And right around evening time, Stan and Alexander Zverev showed up <clears throat> with Magnus Norman in tow, as well as uh, Zverev's brother, Misha. And they got out there, were practicing for quite a while, and then as the crowd gathered, they, they got into, a, I think it was a 10-point 10, 10 game. And I'll tell you, they were going all out just like it was a match. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the folks in the stands were actually applauding points, and, you know, it was quite something to see. So enjoyed that very much. Neat atmosphere. Uh, Jared, any questions for Karen Health? Yeah, Karen, just curious what your impressions are of the site. I've been there a couple times on site, and obviously it's a really spectacular fan experience. Um, you being there as a part of the media, what's your experience been like? Um, well, you know, it, it's an event that just continues to grow and kind of expand its offerings every year. It looks like they're now even putting um, – full uh, cameras on all of the courts. It looks like even on the practice courts. And I understand that they're live streaming all of the men's matches throughout the tournament. Uh, you know, uh, new upgrades, a bunch more restaurants out there this year, an expansion of the stadium one, which I think was, was due given the fact that they built stadium two, which sort of outshined stadium one for a while. But they've uh, expanded, upgraded bathrooms. They've put in new eateries at the base of the actual stadium. Wasn't able to go inside to the stadium just yet because they were still setting up, but I'm sure there's going to be some some other nice surprises in there for people. Um, The practice courts continue to be highly accessible, and I think the one feature that everyone loves that I just haven't really seen anywhere else is that grass playing field where you know the players are getting out there they're playing soccer they're warming up tossing you know medicine balls and and various things throughout their warm-ups and one of the funniest uh, warm-ups that I saw but then I thought you know this is probably great for kind of agility and focus was David Goffin out there and I, I was looking and I didn't see much and I saw him kind of going from side to side and realized they were actually shooting rubber bands at each other. And the drill was actually to shoot the rubber band and, you know, catch it in the air before it dropped on the ground. And I have to say that's the first time I've ever seen that as a, as a, as a drill. Pretty creative. Yeah, yeah very much. Very interesting I, way to exercise. Yeah, yeah fans got uh, some to see. Yeah, GoFan's got semifinal Go points to defend, uh, not only here at NU Wells, but also Miami. Uh, Jared, I think you have another question there. Yeah, just um, curious, you know, you've mentioned some of the players that you did get to see, seeing Zverev hit with Vavrinka. Um, any other interesting practice duos that you've had a chance to see while you were there? Um, those were the main ones. I believe Manorino was out with Ivan Dodig. Uh, in fact, I think they were first initially out on the courts uh, working with the kids, and then later 
on another court, but I, I didn't recognize too many other direct matchups. Uh, I will say another duo that was out there. We saw Madison Keys out on the court with, again, Lindsay Davenport. So she's back in her court and was highly visible yesterday out on the practice courts as well. Well, that's a good report, Karen. Any anything else before we wrap up? And obviously, uh, you and I will have a show with you on site at Indian Wells next week. But any other observations that you'd like to elaborate on uh, before we wrap up? Just the you know kids' day and these free days leading up to the regular match play of the qualies are just an exceptional opportunity for people to get out, you know, see tennis, not have to you know spend a lot of money. Great opportunity for fa- uh, for families, and again, the atmosphere is just more relaxed. It's not crowded. It's you know, it's just an easy way um, to enjoy a day of tennis and have great access to players. You know, I saw kids walking up to Pliskova, walking up to Madison Keys, um, Sam Groth. You know, and they're all just not in this hustle schedule, so they're they're just much more amenable to being stopped and, you know, having all of those things um, take place. And I always try to remind people that as the tournament gets into its full-blown speed to not be too disappointed if a player walks away because a lot of times, you know, they've got, a, they've got some kind of um, promotional thing that they've got to do or they've got to go to an interview or a photo shoot or, you know, if they don't get to the practice court at a specific time, you know, they can lose practice time that they need. So it's really the best time to be there if you really want a player fan experience. That's that's a, a wonderful uh, analysis there, Karen. And, and obviously this takes place over the weekend, so it's not a work day. And I can certainly see mm-hmm. this growing uh, at the – BNP Perry by Open at Indian Wells uh, at the Indian Wells Tennis Garden going forward. And again, I want to remind our replay the point listeners that Karen Helf and I will be on next week with Karen on live on site at Indian Wells next week. And Karen, thanks for your time tonight. Jared and I are now going to go into the ATP segment of the show. Jared, we're going to stick right with Indian Wells. Obviously, the ATP draw came out today. Everybody talking about the loaded bottom quarter with Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Juan Martin Del Potro, Nick Kyrgios, Alexander Zverev, all in the same quarter. Just unbelievable. And as we were talking about briefly before we came on the air, this is what happens when the big four are not ranked one, two, three, four. Three of the big four in the same quarter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think we've ever seen a quarter of a draw quite like this in either a a Masters event or a Grand Slam. I mean, this is really something spectacular. Personally, I think the semifinalists should get their own separate trophy because um, if you come through this section of the draw, that's as good as winning a lot of other titles. I mean, that's better than winning a 500, really, uh, to go through those kinds of names. So whoever gets a semifinal spot from that core of the draw, you know they've earned it. Completely agree. And, you know, any any initial thoughts? Obviously, uh you know, a lot of questions right now, fair or unfair, uh, with respect to Novak Djokovic uh, in, in his 2017. Obviously, he's got a title under his belt already in the Middle East, defeating Andy Murray. But um, a little uh, surprise uh, 
if you will. Uh, we talked a little bit, only one break point in losing to Nick Kyrgios. And now Djokovic, obviously, uh, we talked a little bit. Uh, he might have to play Del Potro again, might have to play Kyrgios again. Uh, you know, wow, I mean, there are just all kinds of sluggers in this quarter. But uh, first, your thoughts on uh, Djokovic and what would be a good result for him at Indian Wells. He's pulled off that Indian Wells-Miami double several times in a row now. Yeah, so that means he has a lot of points to defend this year, and obviously he's trying to catch Murray. Um, and if he wants to catch him, you know, I think the target date would probably be sometime around Wimbledon. Him realistically being able to do it at the soonest is at Wimbledon. For that to happen, he's got to win this. And this is almost a replay of what he got in Acapulco. He's going to have to go through Del Potro and then Kyrgios most likely. We could see Alexander Zverev in there. He's also obviously very talented. Um, so some really tough players to go through just to get through those first few rounds. And then if he does, he's got potentially Nadal or Federer, Verdasco, Steve Johnson's in there. He's going to have to get through one of those guys. So really tough for him. Hard to pick a favorite out of this group. There's a lot of guys that are very talented, very capable. Um, A lot of guys that have been busy in the last week and the few guys who have been resting up. And I think we're going to see kind of a difference in strategies there of deciding which tournament to play right before Neem Wells. And I'm curious to see who that's going to favor obviously Indian Wells is a unique tournament that you play every other day best two out of three uh this in Miami is the only chance to do that on the men's tour and then also it's it's a Wednesday start and that's Wednesday first round so if you're a seated player you basically get an entire week off um so that decision for some of those guys to be in Dubai last week um that kind of cancels out because you get about five days off at least which is plenty of time for these guys to get ready for Indian Wells that's a good call. And, um, you know, just sticking on the bottom half, we're talking about the bottom quarter. Uh, Jared, just hit the quarter right above that. I mean, obviously, uh, we, if the seeds hold true, we've got Kay Nishikori and Marin Chilich, And, obviously, that was a Grand Slam final a few years ago. These guys have met uh, a few other times since that time. But some of the other names in that third quarter, uh, guys playing some really good tennis so far in 2017. Jack Sock is there. We've got Grigor Dimitrov. Luca Pui is in there. Borna George, who can seemingly turn it on at any time. Uh, Sam Query, who we're going to talk about in a little bit later in the show. But uh, uh, you know, not just that bottom quarter, but all you know, the third quarter right now too has some large names in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of opportunities for these guys. Um, Chilich and Nishikori both had some mixed results. So a chance for someone you mentioned, Query, who comes in red hot. Uh, Dimitrov having one of the best 2017 seasons out of anyone. He's a strong candidate to come out of that that portion of the draw. Um, Jack Sock will like his chances, but Sock's got a tough try. He's going to have to go through Chorch, Dimitrov, Chilich, Nishikori potentially, and then get the the winner of the mega quarter, if you will. Um, so, you know, it's a tough path for Sock and a lot of these guys. I'm really excited to see who comes out on top. Yep, and uh, just switching it uh, up to the top half of the draw, Jared, we're just going to advance uh, to the second quarter now. If the seeds hold true, we've got Stan Varenka against Dominic Thiem. Uh, two, an interesting two qualifier versus qualifier matches exist in this quarter as well. Um, interesting, uh, we've got big, big guys, Karlovich, uh, Burdich, Isner are in there as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I saw Stan play Goffin last year. Stan Vorinka could not keep the ball on the court, still almost won that match, but uh, wasn't able to get through. 
we, we never know what we're going to see from Stan Varenka here, but uh, I would seemingly think that he'd be the favorite in this uh, quarter. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, Stan's had some really mixed results at this tournament. He he does have a nice draw, though. That first-round match should be pretty easy to get through, give him some rhythm. Troitsky's another guy that's really struggled to have good results at this event, so I should think that'd be a pretty easy second round for Stan. And then he's looking at potentially Karlovich, Burdich, Tomic, um, you know, someone itching or something. Um, but, yeah, I think this is a pretty good draw. He's going to get some confidence, and we always talk about Wawrinka being better as the conference as uh, the tournament goes on. So that's good for him to have that easy draw, particularly considering he hasn't had great results in the past at any miles. True. And uh, world number one, Andy Murray sits at the very top of the draw. If the seeds hold true, he would play Joe Wilfred Sanga in the quarterfinal. Sanga, we talked about on the show last week, two titles uh, so far this year uh, in consecutive weeks. David Gofan also sitting in this quarter. Jared, a semifinalist last year. Uh, these are the bigger names, if you will. We've also got uh, Francis Tiafo, the young American upstart, who is an intriguing story. Looks like he's got a qualifier. Anything else jump out at you, or uh, are we looking at most likely a Murray Songa quarter? Yeah, I think that's most likely what we're going to see. Uh, I'm really curious to see how Riley Opelka does. He's going to get a qualifier in the first round. And then we'll have to go through a couple of these Spaniards. Um, I think his big serve could actually match up pretty well with these Spanish guys. Really excited to see how that will turn out. Um, but if we could get an Opelka-Murray round of 16 match, uh, I think that would be something great for the American fans to get behind. That will obviously be on center court. And I think a lot of people haven't even seen Opelka yet. Maybe they've heard a little bit about him, heard that he's kind of like John Isner, but actually – get a chance to see the way he just cracks his forehand and his serve. Um, He's a fun player to watch. And I think, you know, if we can get him on center court against a high-seeded player, uh, that would be great for the American tennis fans out in Southern California. I agree. And, you know, a a comparable match, if you will. Um, And Opelka has been compared a little bit to John Isner uh, in some ways, shapes, or forms. Uh, I remember years ago, Isner played Nadal on center court, and obviously being the Ed Indian Wells, the, the American contingent, if you will, yelling their support for Isner. It, it annoyed Nadal, and rightfully so. I mean, some of the stuff that was coming from the stands was just, uh, you know, not really good sportsmanship uh, and, and whatnot. But uh, that's what can happen. We're in the United States, and, and a big American, particularly one that uh, is getting some momentum playing, in this case, as you mentioned, would be the world number one. It could could, could be a very nice atmosphere at any wells if, if that Opelka-Murray match takes place. And, Jared, before we get to talking about Andy Murray and his victory over the weekend, anything else from the Indian Wells ATP draw that came out today that uh, that you'd like to elaborate on? Yeah, well, just a little bit more about Isner and Opelka. I think the conditions at Indian Wells are very suitable to them. The air is dry, but the court is slow. So that means the ball moves through the air extremely fast. As soon as it hits the, as soon as it hits its bounce, it's going to slow down quite a bit. And so I think that's good for these guys that can serve really hard. It takes a lot of time away from their points. If someone's going to try to crowd uh, the service box, they're going to get eaten up all day. And so that forces returns to go way back deep to try to return their serves. Um, I think that's good news for both Isner and Opelka. They're going to be able to take advantage of that. And, uh, yeah, we've seen John Isner make a couple runs at this event before. He's reached the final 
uh, defeating Novak Djokovic in 2011 in the semifinals before eventually losing to Federer in the final. Um, but really good conditions for these guys. I'm, I'm curious to see uh, just how far they can go this year. Yeah, good call. And, you know, Isner obviously plays his best tennis in the United States. You mentioned uh, some good results there in the past. Uh, he's he's in need of some good results. Uh, and obviously here in New Wells, Miami, he's on home turf. We shall see. But uh, I'm going to have my eyes on Opelka as well. And, Jared, uh, Andy Murray wins his first title of the year in the month of March, uh, so be it. Uh, Dubai, he's won this now for the first time in some big, big trouble against Cole Schreiber. Had to save seven match points in that uh, in that match, Jared, second set. Uh, that tiebreaker went 2018. I actually saw another 2018 tiebreaker at the Rogers Cup in Toronto 2006. Uh, Jose Acasuso took on Bjorn Powell uh, on a very small court. I was actually looking over the edge from another court, uh, the court these guys were playing on. No uh, exaggeration. Uh, had room for about 50 people in total and uh, most of the people that were watching were looking over the edge. But, you know, Cole Schreiber, this is something that we have seen, unfortunately, from him. He can go toe-to-toe with anybody. He can take anybody to a tiebreaker. He can threaten to win a set or the match, and it just doesn't happen. In fact, you know, this I would put Stan Forenka in that category from even a few years ago where Stan could play anybody straight up, and Stan wasn't getting those victories. Obviously, Stan finally after several attempts, kicked the door down, and he's got three majors under his belt. Cole Schreiber obviously is no Stan Varenka, but he's got the talent, obviously, to, to take the world number one to the, to the brink uh, and was able to do that seven times in this match, wasn't able to convert one of those, and Andy Murray escapes and then eventually wins the title. Yeah, absolutely. And here's kind of the strange thing about this is usually when you see these top guys go into tiebreakers against someone lower ranked, it's because they have a great serve but don't have a great return. Philip Kohlstriver, the best part of his game is his second serve return. He's not known at all for his serve. His serve's decent. He can get by with it, um, but that is not his strength. So the fact that he's taking Murray uh, to tiebreakers shows he, he was going toe-to-toe with the world number one and just wasn't able to close out the deal. So, you know, that's, that's going to be a disappointing loss for the German after already having a pretty nice run, beating Jill Mueller and Daniel Medvedev. Uh, those are two nice wins and nearly added another big scalp to that. And, uh, you know, if he got onto the semifinals, I would have liked his chances against Luca Pui, who um, had a long path just to get to the semifinals. So, Cole Schreiber, that close to really having a magical run in Dubai, just missed out. Good call, and and he's not the only one that's really battled Andy Murray this year in 2017. So uh, we'll we'll keep our eyes on Murray as his, uh, if you want to call them struggles or hiccups against uh, the field, taking nothing away from the rest of the ATP field when they take the court against Andy Murray that are going up uh, at at this point against uh, the number one player in the world. So I like what you said about Cole Schreiber and the fact that he was really in with a chance uh, given – what his skill set is and what his liabilities are. And another big upset, um, Jared Donskoy, Evgeny Donskoy, a player I really like from Russia, came through qualifying, uh, actually took out Gulbis in qualifying, Jared. uh, He played Gulbis in qualifying last year at this tournament and only won three games and was able to turn the tables, get through Gulbis, uh, won uh, against, I believe, Yuzhny, and then took out Roger Federer. Uh, qualifier Yevgeny Donskoy loses the first set to Federer 3-6, wins the next two in tiebreakers. Uh, this one, 
came from nowhere. Uh, Don Scoy, uh, earlier in the year, this is someone, again, who you know, is not able to convert set points or match points. Uh, he finally got through Eugenie in, a, in another tournament uh, earlier in the year where he had boatloads of match points and finally got through there. But to to see someone like a Yevgeny Donskoy beat Roger Federer in tiebreakers, no less, I have no explanation for this. Do, do you do you have a take on this one? Yeah, no, it's just a, a, an amazing match. You know, when you start playing these guys close, even the top players can get a little bit tight. I know it's just a 500 in the second round, um, but Roger Federer's got a lot of fans there in Dubai. Obviously, that's where he did all of his off-season training with Luca Puy, coincidentally, who was uh, the player that eventually took out Don Scoy. Um, but yeah, if you get these guys close and obviously the margins are so thin in professional tennis, I, I think a lot of times we overlook just how good these guys are that are outside the top 10. Um, you know, th- this is a great performance by Don Scoy, uh, to beat Roger Federer, something that he's going to be able to tell his grandchildren about. Yeah. Good call. And, uh, your thoughts on, uh, Federer, the Australian open champion, uh, this one, uh, you know, sometimes you see some of these guys lose early. Oh, it's okay. They can get to the next place earlier. I, you know, Federer was there to win that tournament. He's done it before, and uh, this one stings a little bit. Uh, at the same point in time, he is able to get in, in place earlier, if you will, at Indian Wells. Uh, do you uh, – do you, anything, any liability you see from Federer not being able to win this one? Yeah, it is a little bit surprising just because the conditions in Dubai are pretty quick. It's conditions Federer likes. And like I said, this is where he did all of his off-season training. Um, So he's very familiar with the grounds there. Um, Yeah, surprising not to see him get through, especially the way he beat Pear. Um, Looked like he was on his way to maybe winning a second title already this year. Um, But just wasn't in the cards for him. And now, yeah, as you mentioned, he gets Indian Wells a little early. I don't think that was really necessary. Um, But certainly doesn't hurt yep and fernando verdasco someone who uh we've not heard too much about uh you know obviously beat nadal uh australian open last year but uh, um got away to a final and uh credit to him he played some very good tennis in dubai and uh some guys were out of his way if you will where he meandered his way to the final lost to murray in the final but uh, want to give a shout out to fernando verdasco for reaching the dubai final yeah, Verdasco is a really interesting case to study because you'll have days where, um, you know, he can't get a ball on the court. He's shanking everything left and right. And other days where he must be seeing the ball more like a beach ball than a tennis ball because he is not missing a thing. He's putting it right on the line consistently. And obviously this is one of those weeks for him to get to the final. Um, when he is playing that kind of tennis, he is so hard to beat. That's what we saw at the Australian Open last year when he beat uh, Rafael Nadal, he's a very talented player. He's off and on. When he's on, it's beautiful, and he uh, he used that to get all the way to the championship match. Good call. I, I, this was a few years ago at the uh, in the Cincinnati press box, and uh, the week before the Rogers Cup was being played, Verdasco was playing someone really wasn't playing well at all. And he, I, I remember this when you said, you know, there are some times where he just can't keep the ball on the court and. He was getting drummed, was not playing well, and he called a medical timeout out of the blue. Really didn't make any sense, and the crowd hissed a little bit. And uh, I saw Rob Koenig in the press box, and since he jeered, and, and he he was calling that match. And I, I said to him, you know, it was just the week before, I said, hey, you know, what was up with Ferdasco on that medical timeout? And uh, 
Rob sort of had a disgusted look on his face, and uh, he said, uh, "I'll tell you, I'll tell you where his injury was." And he pointed to his head. He said, well, "It was right here." So <laughs> he was not uh, fooled by Verdasco's MTO there as well. But uh, that's Verdasco. We can see him play lights out tennis, or we can. Uh, try and scratch our head and say, you know, what, what's going on here. Um, Verdasco, Jared, one of three Spaniards that reached finals. They lost them all. Verdasco lost, uh, Nadal lost, and uh, another one in um, in Sao Paulo as well. We're going to talk about in a little bit. But um, one other result, a couple other results I want to talk about in Dubai. Uh, Zoomer defeated Stan Farinka in round one. We are talking about, you know, Stan having to – you know, his opponent already was in the second round, and uh, uh, Stan, you know, had to wait to put – actually, I take that back. Stan uh, had to wait to play his first-round match, but also a nice run by Robin Hase. Any any of those two that you want to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. Great run by Hase. Take out Istman, then Burdick, and then Zoomer. Um, really nice run for him. Uh, for Vavrink, yeah, we were talking about potentially having an unfair disadvantage at the second round. Well, it turns out he doesn't even get to the second round. Zoomer gets yeah. to the second round and then wins the match in straight set. Um, yeah. So, yeah, had Valverinka lost in the second round, we can clearly say, you know, that wouldn't be the reason why. And I think good to keep in the back of our heads for future reference. Um, you know, when we do run into these kinds of things where a guy has to play um, a day later than his next round opponent, um, really doesn't matter. These guys are professionals. They go out every day ready to play. And uh, Zoomer took care of business. So, nice second-round win for him against Marcel Granoyers. Yep, good call. And before we go to Acapulco, Jared, anything else uh, from Dubai you'd like to talk about? Yeah, a nice couple wins for Gael Monfils. Solid for him. Uh, Ended up losing straight sets to Verdasco. But good to see him get two nice wins. A little business-like this week, which you always like to see from Monfils. Um, you know, yeah. him, he's picked up his professionalism of late, and that's been really nice to see. Obviously, there was a little bit of that mess going on at the U.S. Open last year in the semifinals, um, but since mm-hmm. then, it, it's been pretty good Monfils, and uh, tennis fans love that. I completely agree, and Jared, we're going to shift, shift gears now to Acapulco, Mexico, a 500 tournament there. American Sam Query wins uh, to match his biggest uh, achievement in his career, 500-level tournament. Uh, Query came into Acapulco, you know, his, his nice run at Wimbledon last year where he beat Djokovic, uh, lost to Raonic. But um, after he lost that match, Jared, uh, Sam Query arrived in Acapulco with only nine wins in his last 23 matches dating back to his exit at Wimbledon. And then he just rolled through the field, uh, guys like GoFan, Team, Nick Kyrgios, Rafael Nadal to to win the final, and uh, sort of inexplicable given Sam Querrey. We we know what he's capable of. We certainly haven't seen it nearly enough, uh, not even close. Uh, this is what he's capable of if he's dialed in, which he was able to do for a week. I, I I'm still in disbelief given each of the four guys he's beaten, but Hats off. Congratulations, Sam Query. Yeah, and this is uh, reminiscent of the run that Sanga had in, in Canada a few years back where he was beating a bunch of top 20 guys. And I think we look if we look back at this run five years from now, it's going to look even more impressive than it does now. Uh, Kyle Edmund, up-and-coming player. David Goffin, still fairly young, hasn't, hasn't yet reached his full potential. He will, I'm sure. 
Uh, Dominic Team, obviously one of the future stars of the sport, as well as Nick Kyrgios. Um, so as good as those wins look now, you know, five years from now, we're going to look back on this and go, wow, how did Sam Query go through all that? Not to mention beating Rafael Nadal in the final. Um, only need one break of serve to do it. That's just an amazing run from Sam Query. Yeah, and that run in Canada, uh, Jared, that Sanga put together was against Novak Djokovic, Andy Murray, Grigor Dimitrov, who had just been in the semis of Wimbledon, and Roger Federer in the final. So that's one of the all-timers, in my opinion. And as you mentioned, this result that Query was able to pull off is certainly going to look even better uh, going forward. I, I completely agree on that one. So um, um, interesting matchup. We had talked about the possibility of Nick Kyrgios playing Novak Djokovic. Uh, that did happen, the fact that Kyrgios has already beaten Federer and Nadal, uh, not so much against Andy Murray. He's only won one of 15 sets that they've played. We're anticipating Kyrgios playing Djokovic. Um, that happened. Nick Kyrgios got the win, and that was after Novak Djokovic uh, you know, lost the first set to Juan Martin Del Potro and then um, was able to get that win. So Djokovic playing Klezon, Del Potro, and Kyrgios, uh, tough. And we talked about Djokovic's potential run in Indian Wells, but wow, he's he's been, um, it's almost like we were talking about in the show last year, Cole Schreiber, no matter who he played in a major, it was a, it was a big name. And Novak Djokovic is seemingly finding this uh, every round these days. But um, why not get your thoughts on the victory over Delpo and then the loss to Kyrgios for Novak Djokovic? Yeah, I mean, being the number two player in the world is supposed to guarantee you good draws. Um, but obviously, this is part of what we like about tennis, is it's, it's random. The draw is something out of control. Um, and if it weren't random, it would be the same every week, and we'd get pretty bored of that pretty quick. Um, so having Del Potro in the first round, or the second round, Martin Klezon in the first round, these are great matchups for Djokovic, and it, it really showed. Uh, the three-set win over Del Potro, really impressive. Uh, a great match for the fans, especially in Mexico. Djokovic had never been to Mexico to play a match there. Obviously, they're very excited. And then, you know, for a fellow Latin American and Del Potro to be on the other side of the net, uh, I'm sure the fans out there in Acapulco were loving it. And then, um, yeah, we get Nick Kyrgios in the quarterfinals. Nick Kyrgios wins it. And a match that actually reminded me of, of Djokovic-Del Potro in the Olympics. Two very tight mm-hmm. sets, both go into the underdog, and Djokovic is out um, by the slimmest of margins. So, I think this match actually says a lot about Nick Kyrgios. He beat Nadal on his first try. He beat Federer on his first try. And he beat Djokovic on his first try. Nobody has played tennis quite the way that Nick Kyrgios does. So when these guys step up against Nick Kyrgios for the first time, they don't really know what they're up against. So that first time you play Nick Kyrgios is very tough because he's just such a unique player. Uh, The way he hits the ball, I mean, it's so flat. He's just kind of slapping at the ball. Um, doesn't really look like he's trying, but there's so much pace behind it. It's a really unique style of play. Uh, and then obviously his serves incredible. Um, so Djokovic loses the first time around. I want to see them play again this week in Indian Wells, because I think this time around, I think Djokovic has a much better shot. He's going to have a, a list of things that he will have learned from this loss in Acapulco, be able to put that into play in Indian Wells and be the better for it. And that, uh, second time around, Djokovic gets the better of the Australian if that match happens, you know, we still got a ways to go before those two potentially meet. That's a good analogy. It's almost like in baseball, Jared, uh, you know, a, a rookie pitcher coming up and sets the first nine down in order. And then obviously the second 
and third time through the lineup, the guys have, you know, they've seen the guy, they've seen pitches and can figure out which pitches they want to go after and try and hit. And so good, good call on that one. Kyrgios, all credit to him for uh, the first time out against uh, Federer, Nadal, and Novak Djokovic. But as you mentioned, we may get a rematch uh, very soon at Indian Wells. That would be wonderful if we see that. And um want to get your thoughts uh, going forward. We talked about Djokovic. Uh, I want to ask what you think about Rafael Nadal now in two finals in 2017. Big finals, the Australian Open final losing to Federer. And this final, the 500 uh, in Acapulco, losing to Sam Querrey. Nadal getting close, very close in both instances, not able to finish. Uh, are these serious questions for Rafael Nadal? Uh, obviously, getting the finals is, is good, but uh, he's not accustomed to just getting to the final. Yeah, I think in both cases, it's it's a question of matchups. Obviously, we've talked quite a bit, as well as a lot of people, about the matchup with Federer at the Australian Open and why that didn't go Nadal's way. Um, I don't think that was a big warning sign that Nadal, you know, is struggling in the big matches. Just better played a great match tactically and came out on top. I think similar here for Sam Query. I think Nadal was making a few tactical mistakes. This has been an issue for him throughout his career. He gets a little bit predictable with his serve direction. He tends to swing it out wide in the ad court a lot. In 2010, when he made his run to the U.S. Open, that was the one time in his career where we've seen him mix up his serves really well, uh, use the flat as well as the slice and kick all very effectively at the same time. That hasn't happened a lot in his career, and especially now he's using that slice that wide more and more, and there was just one break in this match, and guess what it came on? Mm-hmm. A slider out wide, and Query was just sitting on it, ripped it cross court for an easy winner. Um, you know, it's probably the easiest backhand winner that Query's hit in his life because he just knew <laughs> it was coming. And that was the difference in the match. It was that one break. And, you know, when Query's serving that well, one break is enough. And so, yeah, it's a tactical thing for Nadal. It's not a, a question of mental strength or a question of ability. He's clearly got that. Um, just made made a tactical mistake at the wrong time, and Query was all over him. Very good analysis there. I agree. And, and again, you mentioned earlier uh, the margins between these guys, uh, you know, outside of the 10 are razor thin. And even the guys like Cole Schreiber taking on the number one player in the world, it's, he, he was right in there with a chance. And, uh, and, and as we've seen now, Jared, one break point, Kyrgios, uh, Nadal, excuse me, uh, yeah, Kyrgios Djokovic, you know, Query just needs one with when he's serving well and, Sometimes that's all it takes. We've seen that with Federer in the past playing guys like Karlovich as well. It's uh, just a serving contest and a break here or there. Or if you're, you don't get off to a good start in a tiebreaker, that's that's all she wrote. And um, uh, Anything else from Acapulco, Jared, before we travel through Brazil? Yeah, Marin Chilch with a nice run. Disappointed to, have to see Steve Johnson pull out of their quarterfinal match. I thought that would have been an exciting one. Um, Escobedo getting the better of Kostloff in three sets. Really tight match there. Um, so nice showing by the Americans against each other. Um, unfortunately, that was just the way the draw worked out where you had four Americans all right there. Steve Johnson's the one that comes through, and then he has to pull out. Um, but nice yeah. run by Chilich. He also had to be um, a fellow Croatian or a fellow Croat and born in Chorich. Um, so unfortunate the way the matchups worked out there, but good for Chilich to be able to get to the semifinals. Wish he would have made a better showing against Nadal. Um, but that's always going to be a difficult matchup for him. 
Yeah, good call, and we're going to stick with Latin America, going from Mexico to Brazil. Sao Paulo and Pablo Cuevas, Jared, third time in a row, titleist uh, in in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Congratulations to Cuevas. And I mentioned earlier, uh, three Spaniards made finals over the weekend. They all lost. Um, that uh, Romas Vanolis was the victim that Cuevas had, obviously, uh, Nadal and uh, Verdasco as well, but uh, Pablo Cuevas can certainly play some ball on clay. Yeah, the three left-handed Spaniards. Uh, a nice run for Cuevas, probably, or excuse me, uh, for Ramos. He's probably a little bit out of gas after having two, three setters, and then wins the first set against Cuevas. Um, but then once the once Cuevas won that second set, he was pretty well in control, able to get through that third one. And this is what Cuevas is about. He's the number three seed in this tournament and came into it as the number 30 player in the world. This is why he wins these tournaments a couple times a year. The the Southern American swing um, makes the most out of those clay events, got the win here. And uh, you know, that's going to be enough to keep his ranking up for a while longer. So uh, a nice showing for him. Yep. And unfortunately we had some weather. Uh, this final was actually completed on Monday. Jared, we didn't have a final in Delray when uh, Raonich couldn't take the court. And uh, obviously Jack Sock got the win. Raonich still on the shelf, not playing Indian Wells, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, this this happens. It's been a strange 2017 with respect to that. We talked on the show last week, Casper Ruud of Norway got a special exception into this tournament. He got another win. That was nice to see. And um, just to have a question for you, you know, this is a 250 being played in South America, uh, concurrent to a couple larger tournaments, 500s. Obviously, we've got Murray winning in Dubai. We've got Nadal in a final in Acapulco. Um, Your thoughts? I mean, uh, this one, even for tennis fans, didn't get much coverage. It's uh, it's unfortunate because there's a nice story like Cuevas going on there. But, um, Anything and you that you can think of that may could maybe bolster this tournament uh, besides a, a big name or two, or is this always going to play third fiddle, if you will, on this week of the year? Yeah, it's tough. It's basically a challenger event in in terms of the way it gets covered because it's being overshadowed by two other events. It's always going to be that way, but it, it attracts a certain type of player, someone that's looking for the clay. Um, so you actually get some very talented players at this event the best play specialists in the world uh, i guess you could say are coming to this event and uh yeah it's a great chance to see some dirt ball tennis um I, yeah i'm not sure how many changes they can make to this i don't think elevating it to a 500 would be a good idea because then you have three 500s going at once and that really dilutes the fields um but this is a good event for a 250 even if it does get overlooked quite a bit um i'm sure the fans in brazil love this um the brazilian players get out there and play and usually do pretty well and so it's a good event for them Uh, outside of brazil it probably gets a little bit overlooked but i think that's okay yep and uh, before we talk a little bit uh, we had some davis cup news on the wire uh, this last week anything else uh, in talking about sao paulo or should we shift over to davis cup well yeah you mentioned casper rude i just want to mention i have my I believe it's the sixth edition of my top 20 under 20. And this is kind of becoming fun for me now because I can look back on the one I did three years ago where I'm talking about uh, Nick Kyrgios. And I think in that one, I picked uh, Gianluigi to be one of the top players in tennis by this point. 
Um, I'm not even sure where John Luigi is right now. Um, but you know, it's it's fun when you kind of have these pieces where you make predictions for what what tennis going to look like five, six, seven years from now, and then five, six, seven years later, you look back on it and see how you did. Um, so these are always fun for me to write. And um, yeah, Casper Ruiz is going to be one of the top players in this one. He is playing fantastic tennis right now. Still so much younger than all these other teenagers. Uh, so he's got a really bright future ahead of him. So I imagine he'll land somewhere in the top five. I'm still working out what exactly the order is for my top 20. I start with about, um, I think I'm at 50 players now, and I got narrowed down from 50 to 20. So it, it, wow. it's actually pretty tough at this point. At, at first, it was hard to figure out who, who was going to be 19th and 20th. Um, the, the tennis among teenagers right now is as good as it's ever been. Um, it's mm-hmm. really exciting to see. I mean, obviously it's not the same as, in the 80s when you had teenagers winning majors. Um, right. So we, we went through a dead period about five years ago where there just weren't any teenagers. And we were getting excited about Bernard Tomic because he won a first-round match at a 250 when he was 18. You know, now we have a ton of guys having great results, and it's hard for me to narrow it down just to 20. Um, tennis right now is really good, and, and there's a lot to be excited about. So it's, it's really fun for me putting together this piece on a biannual basis. Sure, and, and uh, just a clarifying question on that: to uh, to be considered in that list, Jared, uh, one has to be a, a teen, correct? Yeah, yeah. So it's top twenty, under twenty. Anyone who hasn't turned twenty yet, and uh, occasionally I'll get guys on the list there as young as fifteen. Um, try not mm-hmm. to go any younger than that, because at that point you're, I mean, you're kind of just guessing. There's no, there's no way to tell how good a fourteen-year-old's going to end up being. Um, but yeah, it's it's anyone pretty much from fifteen to nineteen years old. That's great, and I look forward to that article you're going to put out, as well as uh, doing a show. We we did a Young Guns show, Jared, Young American Guns and Young International Guns. Those were some of the uh, most fun shows that we had uh, in the last couple of years. And uh, some Davis Cup news. Uh, you know, when it when both Serbia and Spain won, um, Christopher Clary, New York Times, put it out there saying, okay, we're finally going to get a Nadal Djokovic uh, matchup in Davis Cup. I had f- friendly ping pong game, if you will, saying, I I, I doubt we'll get both. Uh, I, I don't know even if we're going to get one. And he wrote back saying, I think it's going to be different this time. Well, Half of that equation is gone. Jared Nadal, Rafael Nadal is not going to play, saying the clay court season is too important. I get that. I sort of thought that all along with Nadal, plus it's on the road. I want to get your thoughts on that as well as, uh, again, um, well, first off, I want to get your thoughts on Nadal not playing, and then we'll talk about Djokovic, will will he play or not. Yeah, for everyone listening, this is Pete and I giving ourselves a pat on the back because we called it. Um, <laughs> we were talking about this on the show, you know, Djokovic and Nadal both going to be there. And it was the question of which one's going to pull out. Um, mm-hmm. And we said maybe Nadal, maybe Djokovic, maybe both. Um, neither of us thought both of them were going to be there. We kind of hoped, obviously, because that would be great for tennis. It would be great for Davis Cup, which kind of needs a boost like that. Um, sure. But realistically, it, w- it was never going to happen. And, uh, yeah, so Nadal choosing Clay over Davis Cup, not a bad decision for him. I think a lot of people want to see him compete for the Roland Garros title this year. And after the run he made in Australia, um, that's looking very likely. Uh, so this is exciting times for Nadal. Uh, no reason for him to be wasting time at a Davis Cup event when you compare that to 
Rome, Madrid, and Monte Carlo, and of course, the uh, biggest of them all, Roland Garros. Yep, and obviously at the moment anyway, Jared, <clears throat> Spain still has the horses that they can wheel out for Davis Cup. So uh, you mentioned, you know, years coming, uh, next few years, not so much for Spain, but they still, in the present, they, they've got their choice of who they want to put out there. So they're not short on players there. But, um, you know, Novak Djokovic, obviously, much earlier than expected exit at the Australian Open that most likely led to his decision to play Davis Cup, uh, Serbia and Russia. Obviously had some difficulties there playing. Medvedev got through that match and won. Uh, when I ask you, do you think Djokovic will play? Uh, I'm thinking it's going to be dependent on what happens here at Any Wells in Miami. And uh, sure, it would be a thrill. He loves playing at home in Serbia. But, you know, like Nadal says, I, the clay court season is too important. Novak Djokovic has a lot of important things coming up on his calendar in 2017. Your thoughts at the moment, if uh, uh, today, if you will, uh, scale of 0 to 100%, what do you think, uh, if he'll play or not? I mean, I think it's better than 50. I think, uh, yeah, it depends on the results. It's going to be a game-time decision. I don't even think Djokovic knows. He's maybe leaning one way or the other at this point, but he hasn't decided. Um, and part of it's going to be which surface, uh, is the event going to be held on? I wouldn't be surprised if Djokovic asks for them to, uh, you know, pick a clay place that has something comparable to what's used in the rest of Europe, and that way it can kind of be used as a launching pad for him for the rest of the clay season. Um, you know, and with Nadal out, why not go with clay? Um, you know, what do you have to lose? So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with this. I think Nadal actually being out of the event increases the odds that Djokovic does go and play. Um, so we'll see what happens. A good call. And uh, before we wrap up the show tonight, obviously a lot of action over the mm-hmm. weekend and uh, I've, and Indian Wells getting underway. Anything else that uh, that you'd like mm-hmm. to discuss or elaborate on that mm-hmm. we did not cover tonight, Jared? Yeah, well, you know, I, I call this the, the real March Madness. And uh, we got yeah. Indian Wells this week, and then in a couple weeks, we have Miami, and I'm excited for Miami. Obviously, the future of that event is in jeopardy, and there's been different talks about how how is this tournament uh, going to move forward, and, um, yeah, a lot of that depends on how do things go this year, who shows up, what kind of fan response do they get. So hopefully um, we have Del Potro healthy. Milos Raonic pulled out of Indian Wells. Questionable whether or not he'll be ready in time for Miami. would be great to have him there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, excited to see what kind of a field we can get in Miami, what kind of fan response there is and, and what the future of the event will be. I think Federer is going to play if I'm not mistaken, uh, something that he doesn't always do. Is that correct? Um, I have not heard one way or the other, but yeah, the last few years he has decided to skip that event and kind of give himself, uh, an early off season in the middle of the year, if you will. Um, so perhaps this year he does decide to go play Miami. That would be Great for the fans there. Obviously, he's a huge draw wherever he goes. Yep, the Grand Slam of Latin America, if you will, the ATP Masters 1000 in Miami, Key Biscayne. And on that note, Jared, we will wrap up this edition of Replay the Point. So on behalf of Karen Health, Jared Pine, this is Pete Zebron saying good night. We'll catch you next time on Replay the Point. Good night.